When we hear the call of Jesus to follow him, it is a call to come and die. This is our initiation into the new man he wants to form within us. We are to die to all that has made us into fawning creatures scavenging about for anything that will make us feel like men. We are to die to being the authors of our own heroic narratives. But death is not the end. That's just the gauntlet through which we are to pass. What will appear on the other side is a true man, solid and substantial, shining with a light that scatters the darkness around him. It is the light of Christ in him. It is the glory of Christ in him. This is the heritage we have been given as sons of the living Father. This is the hope we get to taste a bit of in this life. But to go here, we must enter death. Now this is the way of the heroic. It's the way in all the heroic tales. All heroes choose to face death and even walk through it. But what does that death really look like? I think for each man, it will look different according to his own background and tendencies. But I can name one place that Jesus will always lead men into repeatedly. It is the place in our hearts where our idols have set up camp, intending to stay forever. But he comes to clean house. To put it another way, our hearts become like idol factories, churning out idols of one sort or another. When we don't place Jesus as the true king and shepherd of our hearts, we put other things there and demand that they fill us and provide for us. Here's another way to put it. We come into this world yearning to attach. Our whole neurological and spiritual makeup inclines us to bond. But instead of bonding to the creator of our hearts, we end up choosing things in the created world. These become our disordered attachments. Disordered because they put created things in place of the creator, but disordered also because of the chaos they unleash in our souls. Psychologically, we call them addictions. Theologically, we call them idols. Whatever their name, they become the tottering framework on which a man tries to build his life. These disordered attachments now become absorbed into his self-constructed heroic story, one of achieving success, garnering fame, or amassing power. Conversely, they can also become his anesthetic against repeated failure, lurking obscurity, or crippling woundedness. They will give him just enough of a rush to keep him coming back for more, not knowing that he is sipping a soul arsenic that will poison him. They will never make him noble. They will only bring chaos and ruin. I know this so well from my own period of being a coach, and particularly a track coach. I was attracted to it from the very beginning as a way in which I could impact the lives of other young men. But deep down, coaching, there was a dark energy to it. And I was trying to gain something that I'd lost in my younger years, I became attached to it. I literally ran my life around my coaching career. My wife used to say, on the first day of track season, she felt like putting on black clothes because she was going to a funeral. She wouldn't see me for three years. I finally came to that place of exhaustion and despair. And I realized I thought coaching was gonna give me life instead. It offered me death. 
When Jesus comes to us, he asks us to detach from our idols so that we can attach to him. This is the death we must enter to find life. This is the way. I'm Bill Delvaux, and this is Heroic, a podcast about the surprising path to true manhood. As our hearts churn out idols, we have to constantly reorient ourselves and learn the long, hard process of putting those idols to death. We'll be joined by Michael Kelly in this episode to discuss our idols. Michael serves as a director of Groups Ministry for Lifeway Christian Resources. He has written three books, including his most recent, Growing Down. He writes regularly at michaelkelly.com and enjoys staying busy on Twitter at Michael Kelly. He is a husband and father to three beautiful children and lives in the Nashville area. Michael has such razor-sharp insight into his own heart. He knows about what idols can do to a man's soul. Some specific topics Michael and I will be discussing are the common idols men latch onto, identifying our idols, and being stripped of our idols. I've really enjoyed working with Michael as he oversees the publishing of Stand Firm, a men's devotional magazine, which I edited for the past few years. Michael, thanks for being with us today. Let's start here. What are some of the common idols you see men latching onto? Well, there are many. <laughs> there are many. <laughs> it's, uh, you know, in your teaching, you brought up that uh, this, this uh, quote, which I think is so powerful, that the human heart is an idol factory. You, we, we have an innate ability, maybe particularly so as men. I don't know, but, but I think so, to, to really take anything and make an idol out of it. You know, we, uh, we can do it with anything. But in particular, I mean, I think the common ones are for men, work is one of the comments, regardless of what you do. Regardless, yes. Um, it, it can be anything. So uh, work. Uh, and then, you know, money, of course, is uh, another common one. I also think power uh, is a common idol for, for men. Um, but, uh, you know, maybe position and authority. Status. Yeah, kind yeah. Of like that, yeah. I mean, I think every, every uh, man wants deeply to be uh, respected and admired. And uh, a, a position of authority often brings often brings that to us. I think those are some of the I think those are some of the most common ones. I mean, you could look to any kind of substance abuse and that kind of thing, but I, I think those are are sort of exceptions to the rule. You know, right? Those are the more darker ones. Yeah, I we think. can mention you know even pornography and other things that that sort of lurk down there. But yeah, and uh, I think it's important to note that all of these things. Um, in their rightful use, have are good and proper. Of course, but somewhere along the way, we twist them, and mm-hmm. they end up becoming things that that end up sort of ruining us. Yeah, it's uh, you know I've heard my pastor say before. I think it's a, a wonderful quote that there are there are some things that the human heart just was not made to withstand. So, like, there's a certain amount of glory that the human heart was just not made. To, to have a certain amount of adoration that the human heart was not made was not was not made to withstand and so it's it's almost like uh, an inevitability that or at least something that you have to constantly be on your your guard of especially if you find yourself 
in a position where you have a job that you really love or you, you, you're in a position that does have a lot of authority. Uh, intrinsic with that, I think, is just being on guard with the knowledge of, boy, at some point, this really is going to creep into my, creep into my scope of vision of Jesus. Right, and and creep in and can very subtly take over unless you're sort of yeah, really yeah. Uh, really aware of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, with talk about the effect. How have you seen idols affect men? Where do they sort of go with this? What happens to them if they just sort of keep on this trajectory? Yeah, it's. It's always been my experience that idols give birth to idols. Huh. Talk so, about that. yeah, it's like an, it's in, uh, an expansive uh, process. So, you know, if you want to classify <laughs> idolatry into like a more benign kind of idol and then a darker kind of idol, or you might say it like this, like maybe there's a gateway idol <laughs> that leads you to a greater <laughs> sense of, idol- of idolatry. That's a good way to put so, it. So uh, making an idol out of your job, you know, you could say, well, that's it's really not hurting that many people. After all, you're probably still doing good work and providing for your family and that kind of thing. And I guess that may be so to an extent. But inevitably what's going to happen is that you're going to build on top of that. Like it begins with – you know, work is is sort of becoming an idol for me, and then I think what happens uh, after that is well, now now the power is an idol for me, and and now it's not just the power, but it's the the uh, submissiveness of people that becomes an idol for me. So it's just I think it's it's like compound interest, you know, and yeah. these things start forming up in your heart and calcifying your heart uh, more and more and more. So in terms of the effects, uh, I think just generally. Idolatry brings a callousness to people and to the things of God. Idols affect our relationships because we start viewing human beings more in terms of their utility than in their personhood. That's a very important point. Yeah. Absolutely. In fact, I mean, I would even say this is one of the reasons that idolatry is so insidious, right, is because often you don't know you have an idol until you have an idol. So. If you want to really be on guard to know whether an idol is creeping into your heart, one of the surest ways I think that you can tell if if you're developing an idol is just look at the way that you're treating people in your life. Are you are you treating people with kindness and respect uh, like real people, or have you sort of moved to this line of thinking where everybody in your life is only there for what they can do for you, mm-hmm. um, how they can satisfy some kind of pleasure for you or how they can elevate you in terms of your position, how you can use them for a networking opportunity. Um, so I think that's one of the warning there, signs. There are means to an end. Yeah, exactly. Not not something intrinsic and in and of themselves to value. Right. Yeah, and, and I think the, uh, the hardening of the heart, I think it's a really, really important point to bring out because idols inevitably do that. They build mm-hmm. up these layers, and I think before you know it, a man kind of wakes up and goes, why am I feeling dead? Yeah. What's, yeah. What ha- what's happened? Another, th- I think another effect that is, is uh, like a corollary to the hardening of heart is not just that you start to lose your passion for the things of God. I think it's that you start to become apathetic uh, about sin. So I, one of the other I think one of the other ways that you know that an idol has crept into your life is that disobedience just isn't that big of a deal anymore. You know, um, you, it doesn't grieve you very much. You can excuse it. Yeah, yeah. It's just it's, it's just a bad. thing. Everybody struggles with yeah. this or that, and yeah. 
Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, and it kind of runs with the territory, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the fogging. I think the hardening of the heart and the fogging of our mind towards sin is certainly critical effects. So move and talk about your own story a bit with idols. I share just a bit about my own struggles with coaching. And the, at the end of that story, just led to uh, which I didn't finish, was I came to that point of utter exhaustion where I let it go mm-hmm. and stopped. And I can remember for the next like month or two feeling like I have lost my identity. I mean, it literally felt like I chopped off my arm. Mm-hmm. And I think that's when you speak about the death of what happens and how it feels when we decide to detach from our idols, it feels like a death. Mm-hmm. That felt like I died. Mm-hmm. And then, interestingly enough, a few months later, all of a sudden I came up out of that and went, wait a minute. It's like I got my life back. Yeah. And so, so speak about a little bit about how idols have operated in your own life, um, how you've learned that struggle to detach so that you can rightly attach to the Lord. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, fortunately, I've never struggled with idolatry, so I don't... <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't you're, well, I'm, uh, you're one of the few here. Maybe we should get a, somebody else on, the, uh, to add to on this, this conversation. Right? <laughs> no, uh, no, I'm just, uh, just joking, of course. Um, for for me, it's it has been all kinds of things. Uh, I remember as a young man, like in in high school, uh, the approval of other people. As a matter of fact, it's interesting that you did this. Like we were we uh, were watching a football game. My, my family and I were watching a football game the other night. I played I played football. I used to, I used to play a little ball um, <laughs> back in the day. Back in the day. So I played football all through uh, middle school and high school, and I, I was fine uh, at it. And, and my wife and I started talking about um, would we let our kids play football now? And we've never had to really cross that bridge because m- but neither of my boys are really interested in playing uh, football because they think it looks like it hurts, which, which, which it does. Um, and then she and then she said, well, she made the statement. She said, well, you enjoyed playing football, and uh, I, it was like a really a real moment of clarity for me because I said I've never said it before. No, I did not. Like I played football for I mean six years, seventh, eighth, all the way through high school. Summer workouts, two days in the Texas uh, heat, brutal heat. Yeah, and I I am realizing now I did not enjoy it at all. And the reason that I did it was because I didn't like playing football, but I really liked being a football player. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, the status. Yeah, yeah. Especially the approval you know, of others in a in a town in West Texas oh, where man. they where they close McDonald's on right. Friday night. You know, so everybody can go to the football game. I so it it was that. I, I didn't like it. It was painful. I still have some yeah. physical effects fr- uh, from it. Wow. I, I did. I, I didn't have. I didn't enjoy. I didn't have fun. But I liked. I liked being that. You know. So I I think the idol there is. You know. I I loved. Um, I loved being admired. Uh, and I liked I liked being respected for that. And that was that. That's just a recent. And you, you're saying that as that's yeah, kind of a, like recent a recent revelation, like yeah. a moment, like yeah, wow, that sure. was that. Yeah, for sure. Uh, another one. You know, I remember uh, when 
uh, I, I preached for the first time when I. So this is one example of what you said earlier: how you how even really good things can become idolatrous. So I preached for the first time when I was 16 years old. Wow. Um, and it was terrible. <laughs> I still remember. It was – my sermon was uh, – I built this really elaborate I illustration. I just can't believe you did it at 16. <laughs> well, you haven't summer. heard what it was yet. So I built this elaborate illustration around Gilligan's Island. <laughs> So I wrote this whole thing out, pages and pages of illustration about Gilligan's Island. And then I got to the end and I worked so hard on this. And I thought to myself, man, I should really look for some Bible verses to go in. To <laughs> yeah, go I in need this to thing. insert this here somewhere. <laughs> I got to get some Bible around all my wisdom. Um, so uh, so I, I preached this sermon and I remember it. I, I, I preached the sermon and oh, my goodness, the, 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 the uh, older ladies were so complimentary. Uh, and and uh, people said such nice things. And so through high school, periodically, I, I preached several times at the church. And then in college, uh, I got married when I was 20 years old and um, was a college pastor uh, at a church at the same time I was in college. And I preached uh, at a weekly worship service. So I had, by the time I got done with college, you know, I had I had preached a, a good number yeah. of a good number of times. And then I went to seminary. And um, I remember uh, being in a preaching class and suddenly realizing, oh, there's like a hundred of me here. <laughs> They're all good. <laughs> yeah, everybody can string two sentences together and find a spiritual application about Ginger and Marianne, you know? Um, <laughs> and then realizing, that, you know, that's how, that's how twisted the human heart is. That's how twisted my heart is, is that my ability to communicate had really become idolatrous uh. for me. Um, the one that sticks most in my mind, I think, uh, was when uh, I, I was at a point in my life that this was, you know, I don't know, 12, 13, 14 years ago. And uh, I was I was uh, trying to pursue uh, f- for my vocation, for my job, just to be uh, independently employed. And I wanted to write books and speak at conferences um, and be be uh, the famous Christian. That's that's what yes. I you know that's what I wanted to, to, I get uh, to do. And uh, so I, I was trying to do that and make it make it go. And was on the on the circuit sort of and had had written some things. Um, and uh, at that time, our two year old son, who's fourteen uh, years old now, but our two year old was diagnosed with cancer. And uh, I had to immediately sh- and dramatically change trajectory in in life and um get a get a big boy job that had big boy insurance benefits with it and i would i mean i still say today my my wife and i talk about it not infrequently i would say today that the day that my son was diagnosed with cancer and i was i don't know 20 24 25 years old that that was the day that was the first time that i really grew up because that was the first time that i actively had to make a choice to do something that at least wasn't partly for my own benefit, like my my own self-centeredness. Uh, that That is one of the ways that idolatry works, I think, is that the Lord, in his, in his grace, sometimes will uh, strip you of your idols and that that stripping of your idols is very painful. It's like you described. It's like you f- feel like you have a part of of you Cut amputated. Yeah, 
Um, and for me, what had what I what I now looking back on it, what I did for you know four six months whatever was it? I mean, it felt really a lot like grief. Like I was grieving this dream of what my life was going to be like and trying to recalibrate toward whatever it was going yeah. to be. And, and it is a grief because mm-hmm. there, the the idol, the reason why we chase after it, it means so much to us. Yeah. We, and yet it's the very thing that's killing us. Yeah. And so to actually go through the process of death, it it's disorienting, it's sad, it's confusing. Mm-hmm. And yeah, having a child with cancer, wow, that, that, that must have been just devastating to hear. Well, it, uh, it certainly was. And, you know, to, like to my shame, at that point in my life, I, I mean, if I'm really honest with myself at that point, I think it was equally devastating because... I knew what it w- what it was going to do to him, but I also knew what it was going to do to me. Right. So it was, again, it's 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 shameful. Like I'm in, in uh, I wish it hadn't been that way, right. but it was, it was that way for me then. You know, and I, and I think just a, a little commonality here. You know, after listening to stories of many many men, it's like there is often and very very often this place where we kind of have to. We are sort of ambushed maybe is the best way to put it and it's like it's our moment it's like the fork in the road it's like oh i get it yeah. i see and i love the phrase augustine uses he calls it a severe mercy hmm. god's his austere and severe mercy and it's like because it is it it just feels so much like death and yet what comes out of it is life mm-hmm. i think that is true i will say that as a dad not just as a man but as a dad and i th- i'm i th- there are a lot of people that probably <laughs> resonate with this, is that um, one, of the t- one of the tools that the Lord uses the most frequently to expose the idols in my life are my children. Yes. Um, I get that. Like a, over and over and over again, stuff that you didn't even know were there. Just basic examples. Like when your kids don't like the same things that you do, <laughs> and suddenly you have to come to grips with the fact that, oh, m- my son doesn't like Marvel movies. Uh, he's different than me. He's different than me. He's not going to do, he's not the second and better version of me, <laughs> you know, or sports or whatever, or Michael art 2. or whatever 0. it is. Yeah, yeah. Um, but that is, uh, in that moment as a man and as a father, it is that fork in the road that you described. You know, it's it's the moment where you have to say, um, am I going to force my thing to be his or her thing or am i going to die to myself and make their thing my thing Mm -hmm. and if i force my thing to be their thing then probably my thing as silly as that thing is is probably an idol for me because i'm forcing someone else down that same pathway when it when it's not something that they're interested in or passionate about or, or even good at right Right. It's being attentive, not to them and their souls, but pretty much just attentive yeah. to what's driving you. Yeah. Well, and to circle back to what we said earlier, then, uh, boy, as sad as it is, then aren't if, if we do that as dads, aren't we really just using our children we at are, that point? We're using them to prop ourselves up yes. at some level. What you think about it, that's such terrible language, and yet that's the reality of what's going on in our hearts at times. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Let's talk about just the daily practicalities of continuing to root out idols. Fighting idols is a daily battle. Sort of what have you learned about 
identifying your idols, fighting them, staying on guard yeah. from them. I, you know, I think one thing is what I mentioned earlier, that, that I really do think that a good barometer of what's happening in your heart is how you treat other people and how you view other people, usually that's a good signpost to know what's what's happening inside of you, which is a really good thing because the human heart is so mysterious. You know, we don't we don't we don't know ourselves nearly as well as we as we think we do many times. So oftentimes that can be really revelatory. You know, we find ourselves bitter at someone or using someone or or angry at someone chances are it's not a them problem chances are first and foremost something's happening something is what's going on inside of me yeah something's malfunctioning inside there Uh, but i think another thing another maybe another helpful way to identify whether or not an idol is creeping in is just through our emotional life and our emotional lives in general uh, the longer that I'm a Christian, I think the more convinced I become that the Christian is meant to have a certain amount of stability to their emotions. Now, of course, there are exceptions to this rule. I mean, someone can suffer from a, a clinical fi- kind of depression and, and that kind of sure. but, but cases like that notwithstanding, there is a component, I think, of spiritual maturity that puts us on an even keel emotionally. Um, and I think it's the difference between something like happiness and joy. You know, ha- happiness is an emotion that you feel, which is wonderful, but joy is deeper than that, and it really transcends circumstances. Um, another uh, another way to, to say that would be the difference between, like, um, mourning and sadness or something like that. Right. You know, mourning can be a state that you sort of uh, live in. And in a way, Christians are simultaneously living with a sense of mourning and a sense of joy all the time. We're constantly mourning the way things are. And shouldn't be this way. That's right. And then we're constantly in joy because we know it's not always going to be this way. So it, it pulls on each other and it makes us, it makes us a little bit more uh, even keeled. So all that to say, how, how then would that help us identify an idol? Well, if, if I find myself just absolutely enraged at a given moment that something has happened, well, that may be because, you know, the Lord has kind of uh, poked an open wound here that is that is an uh, an idol that I didn't even know here. was there. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Or if I am just like I can't believe how happy I am at a given moment. You know that it also might be a sign of boy I have really put a lot of my hope in this single event mm-hmm. happening or, or coming forward. Maybe another way to say it would be uh, something like this: If I ever get to the point where I I think that I cannot have true joy unless X. Unless I have this. I um, have this or this happens or, or whatever. That's a, de- like, that's a danger point. It really is a danger point um, because I have, I have shifted in my heart to thinking that my ultimate satisfaction comes from something other than the Lord. This has been Heroic. Join us for the next episode as we take up the topic of the false self, identifying it and learning to unmask it. If you're enjoying the Heroic Podcast, please rate and review on Apple Podcasts and tell a friend who might want to listen in. Rating and word of mouth are the best ways to get the word out. You might also like my book, Heroic, the surprising path to true manhood. 
Heroic will give you what you need to take the journey to become a man. It will help you find your guide for the journey, own your true identity, and discover your quest. This is how we become truly heroic. Go to heroicbook.com for more information and to order a copy. That's heroicbook.com.